Welcome to the Your Mom Has a Blog Podcast, number 64. I'm Chad Edgington, your host. I'm Melissa Edgington, your not host. <laughs> You're the star, baby. <laughs> you are the star of the show. <laughs> I'm just your humble host. I'm just the one that sets you up to tell all the punchlines. And then, no. I, then I steal them from you. I'm the straight man, remember? I got a, I got a message from Jackson today that said, quit stealing Melissa's punchlines. Jackson, so, you're the best. So tonight, you're the funny girl. <laughs> so uh, if you could turn that lamp on right there. I've Would got, that make you happy? Yeah, just like there's a certain ambiance that I like to try to achieve while we're podcasting. Oh, that is better. Yeah, it just brightens things up a little bit and makes me feel like. I mean, I still can't see anything. Oh, oh! So you're going? You're doing this on blind? I'm doing it blind. Yeah, Melissa has terrible vision. <laughs> Basically, I married Velma from Scooby Doo. <laughs> I mean, it's like my life is like has actual Velma moments. Yeah. Where are my Shaggy? Shaggy, where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? I only remember one time that that really truly happened in the middle of the night. When one of the kids woke up, this was years ago, and, uh-huh. you know, I always put my glasses on the bedside table where they had fallen off. Mm. And um, I got up and I was frantically searching for my glasses, like, just like Velma oh, does on yeah. the show. Velma or Thelma? I thought it was Velma. I think it's Velma. Is it Thelma? Where you're just feeling around on the floor because you can't see anything, trying to find your glasses. So when we went to T4G, I left my glasses at the hotel, and I wear contacts every day, so it's really not been a huge issue, except when I take out my contacts at night, I only have these old glasses, the prescription isn't good anymore, and it kind of gives me a headache to wear them. And they so. have a crack right down the middle of them. Today, my contacts are bothering me, and the glasses are bothering me, so I'm just going blind. And yeah, we got that old antique pair have you tried those no what if those worked let's see how they're pretty work. thick let's see how they work all right we've got a pair of old glasses here they're the kind that that ha- are made of like the wire let's see what do you think they're very they're very stylish they're far too weak they don't help at all no they're, they look they really look cool though they do yeah i mean you should think about getting some frames like that all what right. if you took what if you took those in and you were like, I really was hoping you guys could <laughs> could work with these. What what do you think what year do you think these are from? I don't know. I mean I bet that's like real whalebone or something right there with the nose piece. <laughs> those know. came those out those of your are, grandmother's house. Yeah, those are old. Anyway. Well, we burned about three minutes here talking about glasses and your blindness. I'm yeah. sure that no one cares about that. I'm so sure they don't. So anyway, Melissa's doing the podcast blind. So um, she can see shapes and colors. Do I look like a blob to you, or can you make out my face this close? I mean, I can tell it's a face. Okay, so you can kind of see my face. So anyway, um, big day today. Really? <laughs> I stayed home all day. You stayed home all day? <laughs> I worked all day. The the painters were here today, though. So, you know, since it's probably been since we began May Madness that the painters started. 
yeah. around the time we began this, and they're still working on it. Because they've only been able to work three days out of the last two and a half weeks. Yeah, because of the wind, and then yesterday because of the bees. But today they were able to come and paint. Yeah. So hopefully they'll continue the process until everything is covered up with paint that was not painted. We live in a small town, you know, and people have opinions about our paint colors. And there's this one really sweet and funny guy who lives just down the street from us. So he drives by our house every day, multiple times a day. And he's stopped twice to tell us that we should have painted the house gray. Sorry. (laughs) When you tell me to paint, if you tell me, here's the way my personality works. If you drive by and tell me you should paint the house gray, then I will paint it whatever is not gray. Like I will paint it the most not gray that it can be. Because that's how I do things. If you're like, man, you should sing, uh, you should sing new worship songs. Then I just go get like a Broadman hymnal. I'm like, no, we're singing out of this. I have uh, found that to be true of you in the 20 years that I've lived I, with you. Yeah, if, if one, if someone tell, I'm, I, you can totally probably use the reverse psychology on me if you could figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, Chad, you should not ever wash another dish. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I think I'm really, that's, that's probably how you got me I'm to gonna clean. I'm going to wash every dish that ever comes to this sink. Is, somehow, is that how you figured out to get me to clean the toilets all every every year we've been married? I mean, I'm saying that every for every year we've been married, I've been the toilet cleaner. The way that I don't clean the toilets is that I don't do them up to your standards, and so then you just do them. Somehow, you've tricked me into it. How hard is it to clean a toilet? And yet, you've gotten me convinced that I am the best in the world at cleaning toilets. You are. No one can compete with you. Mm Mm-mm. They are clean, baby. Yeah. All right. So, um, let's jump into our topic tonight, because I've got... Go check out that second episode of Little Women. Is it on? Will it be on there? No, it's not till Sunday. What? <laughs> I just love that Joe. I love that Joe. There's an older, there's an old movie version of it you need to see. No, I don't want to watch that. It doesn't have the millennial hip music in it. Listen, it's got Catherine Hepburn as Joe. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding? And it's got Elizabeth Taylor as Sarah, I mean, uh, not Sarah. But if I watch it, then I'm going to know what's, what happens. What's the, what's the sister that she always fights with? There was Meg. Amy, Amy, Amy. Joe, Amy, and what's the other one? And Margaret O'Brien, the child star, plays Beth. Who's Margaret O'Brien? I don't know she who that is. She was a child star. Okay, so Joe is, the, this is a, Little Women is about Joe, right? I would say yes. Okay. So when you read the book, you you are Joe in your mm. mind. You identify with Joe. I don't know. She's the main character. Yeah, but it's not told from her perspective. It no. just follows her story. It just feels like it's about Joe to me. Yeah. I don't know if I want to watch anything and find out what happens until I've seen this version of it. Though. Right, I agree. You need to finish this so first. So maybe Father Brown Night. Maybe. Which that is a fun show that Melissa has a love-hate relationship with. You, yeah, you, you like to start. Know. You like to start watching it, and then you fall asleep through it. I just can't get excited about it. It's a it's a murder mystery show, but it's not very exciting. No, it's a Catholic murder mystery show, so you've got to kind of get over that. I do like you know. the character of Father Brown. Yeah, he's he's. I like him. Yeah, but for Baptists, you know, we're like on the other side of the Reformation. Yeah, you know, we're radical reformers. 
So it's hard for us to get into, you know, the papist hero. But we 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 do it and we enjoy it, but then Melissa can't stay awake for it. Yeah. <laughs> what is that noise? It's Adelaide. Oh, kids still up. Whew, that scared me. <laughs> I had an interesting experience today. This company contacted me and they wanted me to watch a Christian horror movie. Mm. Did you know those exist? Um, a Christian horror movie. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine that. Well, it was weird. Yeah. They, well, they used to show us something like a Christian horror movie when I was in youth group. Oh, yeah. They were like these... Like about going to hell? No. No. They were all movies that were about the rapture. So they were oh, all like right. premillennial, dispensational. Um, what do you need? We got a child up here. Okay. Go to bed. What does she want? Oh, she was just hanging out in the doorway listening. Yeah, we had a studio audience for a minute. For a minute, yeah. <laughs> she's she's a fan. Yeah, she's cool. So, uh, so they would show us these movies where, and I actually went to college with a girl that was in one of these movies. Yes, I met her. I remember that. And I was like, oh, you look so familiar to me because we probably watched her movie like once a month. But I remember was, watching one of those at a fifth quarter fellowship. Yeah. And so what happens? It was it was some movies like something like your date with destiny. Was she in the one where you, she got in the elevator? She was in the one where she eventually got hit by a bus. Oh. <laughs> so it was it was sort of like a, it was a very, um, like you're not going to escape your fate kind of a thing. Right. And then she, and I don't remember the spiritual application of that, but she thought she had cheated death. Mm. And then, I guess I can see the setup, how a youth minister could use that. Uh, because back then, they were literally trying to scare the H out of us. Right. That's what they were. That's what they were doing. Everything was, I think, in the '80s when you went to seminary to be a youth minister, they had a class called emotional manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it was all about let's just. That's one. Is Adelaide still awake? No, she's gone. Okay, Adelaide said something really profound tonight as we ate our chicken strips at Chicken Express. She said um, something like. Well, you know, the old, the older people in church, you know, they they really think walking the aisle is the way that you show that you're a Christian. And I don't know, have we had a conversation with her about this? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that I have. And uh, she said they think walking the aisle is the way that you, the way that you, Become a Christian, or I think that the way she was kind of talking about it, or the way that you know you're a Christian is you walk an aisle. And I said, and she said, so it's hard for them to get away from that idea. And I said, well, then how do you, how do you know that you're a Christian? And she said, you know you're a Christian because your life changes and you live it out. And I said, that's good. I said, but also, but walking the aisle, what is that? And then we talked about how that's an expression of faith, how baptism is an expression of faith. Uh, that's not the faith. You know, and I was thinking about an, an analogy as she was talking, and then we'll get back to the getting hit by a bus. But, uh, you know, can you imagine if you, let's say, let's say that you and I had a wedding ceremony in, say, I don't know, 1999. Oh, yeah. So I remember remember it was around that year. (laughs) 
Sometime in May or June. Uh, May 22nd was the date, right? That's uh, May 22nd. Uh, we're coming up on that. I, need I know. To, I need to remember that. Because <laughs> only 19 years. So that's not, a, years. That's not a biggie. That's no. not a biggie. That's, no. that's like, you know, cardboard uh, anniversary or something. Um, are there are there representations for every for year? For every year. Really? Yeah, yeah. If my phone was charged up, I'd look it up. I may look it up here in a minute. But anyway, say we, we had a, let's say we had a a ceremony where we walked down the aisle to get married. And then when we left that place, I got in my car and you got in your car and we both went our separate ways and there's would be nothing in the way that we were living that would indicate that we were married. Yeah. So what would you say about walking down the aisle? You would say, Walking down the aisle was to be an expression of your commitments to one another. But the truth is, there were no commitments made. And we were able to tell there were no commitments made because neither one of you were committed to each other when it was over. Right. So the the expression of faith was fake. And how many people will go to heaven and stand at at the judgment, however that was going to work, how many people will die and then there's the judgment? And they'll stand before the Lord and they'll say, but we, but we walked down the aisle. I walked down the aisle. You know, and it'll just. And when Jesus says, "Depart from me, I never knew you," it'll make sense because it's like we, you know, yeah, you you gave an expression, you made an expression, but it wasn't real. Yeah. You know, I don't know you. So I thought she she really that was impressive to me that she had thought through that. Um, you know, sort of. That she sees, and I, and she was saying how she sees that I don't make a big deal out of that, of that I don't put a lot of stock in a person walking down an aisle. Right. I don't put a lot of stock in a profession of faith because right. a profession of faith doesn't mean anything. What means something is being born again. Right. What matters is a new birth. That's what the Bible says. So, you know, but, but the culture I was raised in in church whether and, and I and, and we've grown we've we've grown I think that was like the that was if if the silliness of all of that started like in the 1840s or whenever because we you and I were having a talk about the second great awakening last night you move up to Finney you know what Finney's new measures were have you ever heard about those Mm-mm. so have you heard of Charles Finney mm-hmm. what what have you heard of Charles Finney oh I don't know don't quiz me. You, you just tell me. You're like, you're tired and you're blind. Like, not the night because you. <laughs> you I'm just try- tell I'm, me. I'm really, I'm trying to like give you some punchlines at this point. <laughs> I want to bring you into the conversation. So here's like, you're like, you're like, Hey, let's, um, let me really just, you know, how, how, maybe I'm modeling for you guys how to have a conversation with your wife. And, and one of the real good, you know, t- uh, conversation starters is always, honey, Tell me what you know about Charles Finney. <laughs> <laughs> that really gets them going. That yes. really that really causes them to open up. And you know, foreplay starts on the podcast. And, <laughs> uh, talking about talk, talking about Charles uh... Finney. <laughs> anyway, okay. So Charles Finney was sort of like a a Billy Graham, Billy Sunday, Greg Laurie type evangelist. He was like one of the first. That would have the big meetings that we would probably we could go to and say that looks familiar to me. And Finney's I, Finney's thing was revival 
it doesn't come down from heaven. You've got to work up a revival. Right. And so he started the whole invitation thing. That was really, you know, he, he had the, but, but he even did it better than the way we do it now. He said, if you're convicted of your sins, come up here and sit in the front row. And then when the service is over, we're going to pray for you. And if you're mourning over your sins, we want to pray for you and share the gospel with you. So even though he did it, even though his theology was a little wacky, was still more responsible than the way it continued with Billy Sunday, Billy Graham. And I'm not saying these guys' ministries were not great and, and amazing, but I'm saying the methods that kind of became employed during these times, uh, you know, play into that idea that Adelaide was, that, that a 12-year-old could look at and say, that doesn't make any sense. And yet this is what we bought into right? as Western Christianity as a culture. And I think the culture itself, don't you think the culture itself helped make those things work? You, you, you catch what I'm saying there? Helped make what things work? Those types of measures, like the, the long invitations and walking the aisle and emotional responses to sermons yeah. that didn't really mean anything. But the way you got religion was one day you walked an aisle. So if, if the preacher came up to your house and said, hey, I want to talk to you about the gospel. Well, I already did that. Right. But maybe the culture somehow, that was the acceptable thing to do. Well, it changed it changed people's thinking, I think, because... <clears throat> There was a time whenever people looked at your life and how you were living at the fruit to decide if you're a Christian or not. And it shifted, the thinking shifted to, well, I know he's way off the path, you know. He's really he's really gone the wrong direction, but I remember the day. I'll never forget that day that he walked the aisle. And I'm telling you, that was real. It was real because he cried. Yeah. He cried. He felt convicted. He felt guilty. He felt emotional. But I think there, I mean, people are very sincere, you know, in their feeling that way. That's they saw someone get saved and they felt like they really witnessed something. But I think it's just been a, it's really just been bad teaching Mm -hmm. that has kept that thinking going. And I think all of that is turning around. Well, because I think now the culture doesn't permit it. Like, now you can't be a culturally acceptable Christian. Well, you can't be a nominal Christian. Th- yeah, th- and that's what that was, nominal. The way I've said it before, and I, I think I said it in a sermon, that all of those all of those types of emotionally manipulative um, um, measures, is what Finney called them, the new measures, all of those things were sort of um, like a jello mold. Like the jello mold... You, you know, it would, it would hold the, the shape of the jello mm-hmm. or hold the jello in shape. I think the culture kind of held this nominal Christianity in place to where it seemed like it was successful because it was sort of a a, a, a respectable thing to People do. People were doing what was culturally acceptable, which actually lined up with a lot of the Bible's teachings at that time. Right. So the culture favored these things. The Bible favored these things. They made a good partnership. But when the culture took a left turn... And went the other way, then no, then then the mold was gone. The thing that was propping up the church, Christianity, and the success of the church, it's gone now. So younger Christians are coming in and saying, "Okay, if that's gone, then what what gives us our shape?" 
And it's not pressure from the outside. Mm -hmm. It's rebirth and change from the inside. Right. And I think that's clear to a 12-year-old that what makes a Christian a Christian is if they have a new nature and their life changes. So not the sincerity of a moment in time, right. but a changed life. I'm doing Mark 14 this Sunday. And here you have these disciples right after the Lord's Supper. And Jesus just looks at them and says, you're all going to fall away. <laughs> the first thing he says to them, he says, you're all falling away. And they're like, he says, I struck the shepherd and the sheep scattered. And they say, no, no. Even if Peter, Peter's a big talker. He's like, no, no, not me. Even if I have to die, I will die with you. I'm going to follow you. I will die. And Jesus is like, Peter, before sun up, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Yeah. You know, and then all of the, when Peter says, no, no, not me, it says all the rest of them say it too. Yeah. All the rest of them. Those, and do you think at that moment that they were being insincere? They really wanted to follow Jesus right in that moment. They wanted, they wanted to die for Jesus at that moment. But then what happens when they, when they get to the garden? What happened? He, yeah. takes, he takes the three that saw the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. And what do they do while he prays? They fall asleep. Yeah, they couldn't even stay awake for Jesus. It's, it's not a question of whether they would die for him or not. They won't even stay awake and be a watchful, oh, an alert disciple for one hour. Yeah. Okay, then flat, flash forward, Acts chapter 2. What's the difference? Holy Spirit. Yeah. They're changed. At Pentecost, they're changed. They're dwelt with the Holy Spirit. God's done something that he's not done before in their life. That's the key. You can be sincere in all these commitments you make to Christ. As long as it's in your own strength, it doesn't matter. It's for nothing. Right. But whenever there's life change and heart change, I think people see it. So that's kind of a 22-minute um, excursus over um, <laughs> those. So, so I think there is something going on there. It might be something interesting we can explore in our further discussions on that is to say how things have really changed. I think we were teenagers at just like the tail end of when that seemed like it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then the culture went south so fast Yeah, that I can remember being in junior high when, you know, or young, or, or maybe even older than that, when the concept of divorce was still very unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really was. I mean, it was common, but even in the church, it was unacceptable. Um, it, or it was, I would say, maybe bordered on scandalous. I don't know if that's good or bad. I just remember that's how that's how it was viewed whenever I was younger. And then you you go from where divorce is something that's frowned upon uh, to legalized gay marriage in 20 years. Yeah. It's crazy how fast that happened. And so while our heads are spinning, I think we're looking for, and I think it, it brought a lot of things into clarity, even though it's chaotic. Mm-hmm. We say, we're able to see those things. So interesting. Any other thoughts on that? I would just say that's kind of a bonus discussion there that maybe you should um, jump into those waters with your kids and talk about these things. So, so, what, what would you talk, what sorts of things that, that we do in a worship service would you ask the kids questions about? What do you mean? Well, so the thing that she latched onto was she's kind of grown up where there's like a walking the aisle kind of an idea because we're Southern Baptist. Yeah. But yet she's seen 
as we've you know at at Wake Village, we we didn't really like at Wake Village. We didn't really make a big deal out of the invitation at the end of service. I think we do it because it's tradition. Yeah, we pay we pay we nod to the tradition, but we realize the invitation is open all the time. Yeah. Jesus' invitation is open to you 24-7. It's not during a song. And if you're going to come to Christ to make the most important decision of your life, you might want to talk about it with someone for more than a, a verse and a chorus mm-hmm. and let them pray for you. And, you know, and the church needs to be more careful about who they, how they approve members and those sorts of things. You know, there's, it's, it's so much more complicated, than, complicated and, and important uh, than sometimes I think we've traditionally made it out to be. So she's kind of grown up in two churches that I think put a proper emphasis on that. And then she's also been to things like camps, power team meetings where where the guys do the feats of strength and those sorts, where she's seen those hyper-emotional, drawn-out, manipulative altar calls. Yeah. And she's seen both of those, and she's... You know, she knows, well, that's a way some churches do it. But, you know, daddy's churches don't do like that because of what daddy's theology is about how salvation is actually working. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I th- I would say talking to them about what is what is happening there at the invitation. Yeah. Like, to, uh, what is baptism? Um, I think it's important to talk to them about the difference between an emotional response and, you know, a, a deeper spiritual thing that's happening. I've had yep. those, Adelaide was very young whenever she was worried about the fact that she doesn't get emotional during music. And, you know, I've, I talked about this just, I don't know, probably just a few days ago on here. It's all I running have no together. no idea, yeah. Um, but, you know, Adelaide is, you know, she doesn't cry at movies. I mean, I say that she has a heart of stone because she doesn't cry at all the parts that, of movies that should make you cry. Um, she's not the type, really, who gets overly emotional about things except athletics. <laughs> <laughs> and there's plenty of drama just over, like, running a mile. Yeah. You would think that she's, someone's <laughs> killing her. And so, you know, we talked about how that, you know, just because someone is crying or someone, you know, you, you can't, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that much in most cases. I mean, emo- it's just um, a feeling. Yeah, because emotions. Feelings come and go. Yeah, emotions are the most worthless thing to hang your hat on. Yeah. Because they change in five minutes. Right. I mean, you can be in a, this is what always blew my mind, is we could be in a church service, a camp service, and the kids are boo-hooing. They're crying. They're feeling so guilty. They would be praying and all this. And then 20 minutes later, you know, you're down at the snack shack as if nothing happened. There's no better um, teacher about things like that than junior high school. Yeah. Because Adelaide has seen so many people go to the front in tears, you know, crying at at these events, fields of faith and all this stuff. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, they go back to school and nothing, I mean, everything's the same as it well, was. And after one of those emotionally manipulative um, mass evangelism events that FCA had sponsored and our, our local FCA had sponsored, she came home and she was she was crying. She was crying because she said, my friends got saved tonight. You know, because the, the evangelist had given an altar call and the kids that were standing around her that she worries she legitimately worries over their souls yeah. she's afraid they're going to go to hell 
and that they don't know the gospel and that they don't care about it, and that they, they have no interest in church or spiritual things. When she saw them responding to the gospel, and she came home, and I remember she was crying. She was so happy that, that they had gotten saved. And it was such a sad thing to see how ridiculous Christianity can be, that they would, that, that, that was a real gospel presentation made, okay? And then there was this way to respond that was so superficial when the actual response is repentance and faith. And the, and the, the most horrific thing about that type of evangelism, quote-unquote, quote unquote, is that they sent those kids away telling them that they were saved. Yeah. And then, th- then Adelaide comes to me a few days later. She says, well, what happened there? I mean, did, did she get saved or not? Of course, that leads into the discussion. Well, yeah. what, what, how do you know someone's been saved? The, the Bible doesn't say sorrow leads to repentance. It says godly sorrow leads mm-hmm. to repentance. Mm-hmm. It, I, I think it, it's, a, it's a something the Spirit is doing. If the Spirit gives you a new nature, the Spirit makes you born again, and you respond to that in repentance and faith, you change. That's right. what being saved is. Right. It's not just sitting up in the stands and deciding that, that making a decision. Okay, well, I decide that God can save me. If he, I, I, I give God permission to save me. God doesn't need your permission to save him to save you. He saves you. That's what he does. That's what his business is. He's been saving us ever since the foundation of the world. Yeah. So, uh, just remarkable stuff to think about that. Um, I know we need to. Need to move that's on. That's not even our topic for tonight. That's not our, but that's a great topic. I, I like to talk about that topic. You can tell we haven't seen each other all day. But I like to talk about that topic because it was, and, and I think it does really, you know, if you will teach your kids when they're young what actual salvation is, if you will teach them what John 3 actually says about new birth and how the only thing that matters is a changed life, yeah. and you will have them understanding that their assurance of salvation uh, isn't tied to a decision they made at VBS. Uh, it, it's, it is, uh, there are other evidences besides a singular moment, mm-hmm. which there's a moment where you're saved and you're justified. I and mean, you're not saved until you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. We understand it's a moment, but then we know the assurance comes from look, being able to look at our life and to see that we're growing in Christ's likeness, that we love the things Jesus loves and right. we hate the things that he hates. And even though we still do things we don't want to do, and we're not following him perfectly, that's the, that's the direction our life is headed. And you can look at that and you can be encouraged. Not trying to sit here and say, oh, am I saved or not? Am I saved or not? Am I sa- saved or not? Because I, I don't remember what happened when I was in second grade. I don't, I don't remember what happened to me in second grade when I made a profession of faith. But I know I'm following Christ, uh, what would that be, Thirty. Five years later, whatever whatever it is, I know I'm still following Christ. Yeah, if so, you want to know if you're saved, look for the evidence in your life. Look for fruit. Yeah. You know, the fruit of the Spirit. It tells us what it is. If you see these things in your life, if you see yourself in a, in a, uh, following an obedience, then you know um, that you're, that that's, that's assurance that you have of your salvation. And that is a great lesson. And if you're living a life that has little to do with the things of God, and yet you once walked an aisle, then you don't have assurance in your salvation. Yeah. And I think we're so afraid to discount all those religious experiences that we that maybe we're, we are sending people to hell by saying, you know, uh, well, you you can you get saved by walking an aisle and saying a prayer uh, in, in a church service? Absolutely. But but uh, you don't get saved. We have an old 
Uh, I say old man. Hope he doesn't listen to that. But he he would say he's old. Uh, you know, and, he, and that's something he always heart. That's all he says. Man, I made a profession of faith when I was ten, but it wasn't t- uh, during a school year. But it wasn't until that summer that I that I was saved. That the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit changed me. Yeah. And uh, so, and that's when he was saved. And so he 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 really you know beats that drum and i'm like that's absolutely right there the, it's a spiritual birth it's a new birth right that you don't born yourself again you never born yourself and i didn't i didn't i didn't birth myself someone yeah. else birthed me yeah you know and, and until and it's i think there's a reason jesus talks about the new birth that way it's something that you don't have any control over but whenever it happens you respond to it in repentance and faith and you believe it, and it, your life changes. Yeah. It's a spirit's drawing you, spirit's calling you, and when that heart change occurs, then you fly to Christ. Yeah. And everything changes. And if that if you've if that's not happened in your life, it's such a it's like night and day, you know, and and you know it's happened. I remember when I would sit around the room with the guys at Wake Village, and and from time to time we would we would have like a Bible study in our house and. And maybe sometimes it would be 12, 16 guys there. And I would say, hey, tonight let's just share a testimony. <laughs> one by one, everybody would say, well, when I was about 10 years old, when I was about 10 years old, when I was about 10 years I did this when I was about 10 years old. Yeah. And then they would say, um, but now. And they would say, no, and I didn't, didn't really care, but now. I would say, so when were we saved? And they would say, I don't know. I don't, they wouldn't know. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm sure... You know, we mature in the faith. I think a 10-year-old can believe and be saved. But there was no assurance of their salvation. They weren't sure of it right. until but now. Yeah. So I would say, were they saved when they were little? Probably. You know, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. They always believed, but they weren't following him. They weren't obedient. And so, therefore, they had no assurance of their salvation. Right. We can't judge a heart and say whether they're saved or not, right? No. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So I mean, even even if it's somebody on their last, you know, in their last breath of life, we 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 can never say that someone is lost. And you and conversely, you could probably never really hundred percent say someone's saved. Yeah. But you can look for evidence in their life, right? And say maybe that's what you should maybe that's what I should say at a funeral. You know, say we 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 can we can we can be uh, encouraged today. Because of the evidence of God's grace in so-and-so's life. Yeah. That's a more responsible thing to say. Right. That's a, uh, funerals are a good thing to talk to your kids about, too, in, in that regard. But now we've gone, so we need to get to the topic. You hey, got one more thing um, to say? I think we should make this today tonight's topic. I think we should save our other one. Oh, you want to keep one in the bag? Yeah, let's, let's make – because – that was a pretty good discussion about that idea, <laughs> and I think it's that's worth talking to your kids about. So teach your kids about well, how how would we teach your kids that salvation is more than an emotional response? Ooh, girl, give me five for that one. That was good. Yeah, salvation is more than an emotional response. Um, it's a it, it's a response that occurs to something God does first. We love Him. Because he first loved us, right? And so it's a, it's a response to God's love, and and what what the, the the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and uh, His incredible provision for us to save us. So awesome stuff. So that, so you're ready to go watch some TV then? Sure. That's what you're saying. Maybe yeah. cook a little popcorn. 
What number is this? What What is today's date? Today's the 15th. So this is the 15th out of 31 for 31. Yeah, 31 things to teach your children in 31 days. This is May Madness. May Madness. It's been crazy. And this is number 15. Teach your kids that salvation is more than an emotional response. There you go. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> well, you wrapped that one up quick, didn't you? <laughs> We'll see you guys tomorrow. You got to go to the bathroom? What's going on here? <laughs> no, I just think that that's a good... I just think that, that that one needs to stand on its own. All right. That one's standing on its own two legs. And we will see you guys tomorrow night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.